you're seated, before you're seated, we're going to read this passage of Scripture together as we begin. And so it will be here for all of us to read together out loud. Together, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Thank you. You may be seated. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy is where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. We are continuing in our series titled Do Unto Others. We are unpacking God's truth for our lives and relationships uh, found in the golden rule. Jesus told us in Matthew 7 and verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. God wants us to put his truth into practice in our lives and relationships because he loves us and because his truth is best for us and those around us. Paul wrote 1 Timothy to Timothy to the church in Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring and to brothers and sisters in Christ today all followers of Jesus Christ. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father, his encourager, his mentor in the faith. Timothy joined up with Paul during Paul's second missionary journey. He joined on to Paul's ministry team as Paul was making his second missionary journey. And he went through, it took him through the town of Lystra, which was Timothy's hometown. And uh, Timothy joined with Paul and he began serving with Paul throughout the second missionary journey. He served with Paul on Paul third missionary journey, and so they were together, spiritual father uh, and spiritual son. And so we know Timothy also stayed real close to Paul during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. When Paul was imprisoned in Rome, Timothy was very close by, and when Paul was released from prison after the first time, he was released after the first imprisonment, he and Timothy traveled together And they went back to some of the churches they had planted on their previous missionary journeys. And they went back to encourage and to teach them and to love on them and to check in on them. They made their way back to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And when they got back there, Paul said, hey, Tim, here's what I want you to do. You're going to stay. You're going to stay here. You're going to pastor the church at Ephesus. And I want you to stay here. I want you to pastor them. I want you to shepherd them. I want you to lead them. I want you to encourage them. I want you to correct them. I want you to guide them in the truth. And Paul said, I'm going to continue on, and I'm going to continue on ministering in Macedonia. And so Paul continued traveling on into Macedonia, where there were other churches that had been planted by uh, he and Timothy. And he was ministering there in some of those other churches in Macedonia. And it was from Macedonia where Paul sat down and wrote this letter to Timothy. He wrote 1 Timothy from Macedonia. The letter was delivered to Tim, who was pastoring the church in Ephesus. Paul identified 
the purpose for the letter. It's always nice when the author of the scriptures and the particular books identifies and tells us real clearly why they wrote what they wrote. And Paul did this with Timothy in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15, he made it real clear why he wrote this letter to Timothy. He said, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written, here it is, so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So Paul wasn't sure if he'd be able to get back to Timothy and the believers in Ephesus. He wasn't sure if that's where God was going to lead him. And so he said, hey, Tim, just in case I don't make it back, I'm writing this to you. And here's the purpose of my letter. So that you and all those you're pastoring, so that you and your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus will know how to conduct yourselves in God's household. In other words, so you'll know how to act as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. God wants us today to act his way because we're members of his household. God wants us to understand how we're to act as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. You see, membership in God's family comes with privileges and responsibilities. There's some privileges, a lot, but there's also some responsibilities. And so in preparation for what he was to share, Paul also encouraged Timothy in chapter 1. Let's look at verse 18. Paul said, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction, that meaning on how to conduct themselves in God's household. That's the instruction he's referring to here. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction on how God's people are act in God's household, how they conduct themselves in God's household, in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. So we see here that Paul reminded Timothy of the affirmation that others had given to Timothy and the affirmation was they recognized God's calling on Timothy's life for ministry. And the reason Paul reminded Timothy of the affirmation that many others had given to Timothy as a minister of the gospel was to encourage Timothy as he led the church in Ephesus and specifically to encourage them in conducting themselves according to God's desires for God's household. So Timothy, as he trusted God, as Timothy obeyed the word of God, as he obeyed God's instructions through Paul by the power of his Holy Spirit, and as he remembered the encouragement that others had given to him and had poured into him, he would be able to fight the good fight of the faith in Christ Jesus. He would be able to pastor and lead the church God's way. God wants us today, each one of us, to fight the good fight of the faith in Christ Jesus. God wants every one of us to fight the good fight of the faith in Christ Jesus. So these words from Paul to Timothy are very important for us today. Very important for us to understand and then to apply in our lives. I want us to focus on the instruction from Paul to Timothy 
at the beginning of chapter 2. The beginning of chapter 2 in 1 Timothy is the passage I want us to focus on because what we're going to see is this. The very first thing that Paul told Timothy is at the top of the to-do list for believers in Christ Jesus. The very first thing that Paul's going to share with Timothy and with us that believers are to act in God's way. The very first way that believers are to act in God's household. The very first thing that Timothy's going to say, here's what you need to know first. As you conduct yourselves as members of God's household, the first thing on the to-do list for the believers to act the way God wanted them to act as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus is to pray. It's the first thing he says, to pray. How timely is this truth for us? How important is this truth for us? Jesus said, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. If we want others to pray for us, we must pray for them. So let's look at what Paul has to say to, to us today as we read what he had wrote years and years ago when he wrote to Timothy. First, Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 1. First of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald and apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. What a powerful passage for us to enjoy together this morning. Paul said, first of all, I urge you, I exhort you, I beg you, pray. He said, Timothy, as you fight the good fight of the faith, pray. Pray. Now, we know that Paul had already shared this message with the believers at Ephesus, as we learned last Sunday, because Paul wrote a letter to the believers in Ephesus titled Ephesians in the New Testament. And we know, as we looked last week, that Paul said to Timothy and the believers in Ephesus in chapter 6 of Ephesians in verse 18, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercessions for all the saints. We cannot fight the good fight of the faith apart from prayer. Prayer is a must for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Prayer is a must for us as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And Paul makes this clear. He says, first of all, I urge. Listen, first of all, here's number one. My number one thing on the to-do list, Paul says to Tim. He says, here's number one. The first thing, I want petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings to be made for everyone. What does that mean? It means simply this. I'll summarize it for you. We need to pray all kind of prayers for all kind of people all the time. We're to pray all kind of prayers for all kind of people all the time. That's what he's saying. So I want us to see three points. We're going to look at three points real quick, real clear. Three points this morning that I want us to grab onto that God wants to use in his work in our lives this day and this week. First point is this. First point I want to see is this. Prayer reminds us that there is someone greater than us. Prayer reminds us that there's someone greater than us. Look at what Paul told Timothy. He said right here, first of all then, I urge 
that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Everyone means everyone. Say everyone. Everyone means everyone. So right away, let's just get it out there. We're to pray for everyone. Everyone means everyone. Pretty clear. Possible to miss. Impossible to misinterpret this. Everyone. Then, as if Paul was living with us today. As if he was walking with us on a daily basis. He gives us an example. One specific example that fits underneath the umbrella of everyone. He said, pray for everyone. So that's, in general, everyone. But then he decides he's going to tell us and give us, give Timothy and the believers here, give us one specific example of who fits under the umbrella of everyone. And he says, I urge you to prayers, petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings, maybe for everyone, for kings and for all those who are in authority over us. For all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So one thing we know for sure as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're to live lives marked by godliness and dignity, tranquility and peace. And he said, we're to pray for kings and those who are in authority, all those who are in authority. Well, when you look back at the history, you begin to understand that he really meant everyone. Because in the Roman world, during Paul's day, the kings, the governors, the leaders, those who were in authority were persecuting the church. And Paul still said, pray for them. Yeah, pray for them. I want you to pray for everyone. And just in case you go, oh, well, there's no way he'd ask us to pray for them. I, I want you to pray for everyone. And I also want you to pray for the kings and those who are in authority. This means for us today, we should pray for President Trump. We should pray for President-elect Biden. We should pray for all our elected officials. Matter of fact, we should pray for everyone in authority over us. It's clear. We may not agree with them. We may not like them. We may not trust them. We may not have voted for them. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have no option. We're to pray for them. We're to pray for them. Because as the scriptures remind us, Paul shared in Romans, authority is from God, instituted by God, to be used as God's servant to us for good. So we're to pray for everyone and authority over us, all of our elected officials. Yeah, pray for them. Yes, that includes them. Everyone includes them. Yeah. You got it. That's exactly what Paul was saying. It's almost as if they're like, seriously? Are you kidding me? Paul, you really want us to pray for those who are persecuting us? Yeah. Yeah, pray for them. And what this, what this says here is how he finishes this. I love this. He says, as we pray for all of our elected officials, those who are over us in authority, as we pray for all those who are in authority, it allows us to live a tranquil, peaceful, quiet life in all godliness and dignity, which is a witness to those who are around us, who are watching us and who are listening to us. It's a positive witness to those that God places around us. 
And then he continues in verse 3. He just keeps getting better. He says in verse 3, this is good and it pleases God our Savior. So there's two reasons he mentions here why we're to pray. Now there's a many, many more that we could talk about, but two reasons in particular that why we're to pray. It's real clear. Paul continues. He's sharing truth. He says two reasons that we're to pray. He makes two points. The first point of this, prayer is good for us. That's why we're to pray. Prayer is good for us. Tell your neighbor prayer is good for us. It's good for us. You know this, I know this. We can't go wrong in prayer. Prayer is good for us emotionally. Prayer is good for us mentally. Prayer is good for us physically. Prayer is good for us spiritually. Prayer is great. It connects us with God. It connects us with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Prayer is good for us. It allows us to hear from God. It allows us to turn our attention to God. It allows us to fix our eyes on God. Prayer allows us to hear from God and his view on us, his view on our lives, his view on what's going on. Prayer is good for us. That's why Paul said pray. Why? For everyone. Why? Because this is good. Second point is prayer pleases God. He said, prayer, this is good, and prayer pleases God our Savior. So that it's good for us, and it pleases God. That's a win-win. We please God as we pray to God. So here's the first point. Don't miss it. Prayer reminds us that there is someone greater than us. That someone greater than us is God. Prayer reminds us that God is greater than us. Prayer reminds us that God is in charge, not us. Prayer reminds us that life is about God, not us. Prayer reminds us that God's will and way is best, not ours. Prayer reminds us we're to live God's way, not ours. Prayer reminds us that God is the one who changes hearts, minds, and lives, not us. God's the one who changes. We don't change anybody. God's the one who changes lives. He's the one who's working. We see it. He's the one who changes lives. Prayer reminds us that God is greater than us. And then he continues in verse 4. I love this. He says, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is fantastic. Who wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? Prayer pleases God our Savior because God is the one who saves. Makes sense? God wants us to pray for everyone because God wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, though he knows not everyone will. He's sovereign. He knows. He's got it all figured out. It's all good. He knows what he's doing. He wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He knows not everyone will. But here's the catch. We don't know who will or who won't. That's why we're to pray for everyone. We're to pray for everyone. We don't know who will or who won't respond to the Lord's gracious offer of grace and repentance and salvation in Christ Jesus. God does. But we're to pray for everyone so that someone might get saved. We're to pray for them. Notice there are no exception clauses in God's call on us to pray. No exception clauses. Pray for everyone. 
Our prayers are not based on ours or others' worthiness. Our prayers are not based on ours or others' words. Our prayers are not based on ours or others' actions. Our prayers are based on God's will for us, which is best for us and those around us. We're to pray for everyone. If you're having trouble praying for someone, if you just really can't wrap your minds around praying for someone that you really just don't like, then how about this? That's one of the reasons why Paul was saying this. You can at least, as a follower of Jesus Christ, pray that they would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I hope. I hope that we can agree to pray that all those around us will be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But sometimes this kind of gets lost in translation now. We get so confused. We stop praying. I think of our Old Testament friend Jonah. I love Jonah. Probably one of my favorite dudes in all of the word. Boy, he was a handful. Think about Jonah. God told Jonah, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh to preach. Well, the Ninevites, as you know history, the Ninevites were really, really cruel. They were really mean-spirited. They were just really, really difficult folks to be around. Nobody wanted to be around them. They were terrifying. They were the most violent people in the world at this point in time. And God came to Jonah said, hey, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh, and I need you to preach against Nineveh. I've had enough of their sin and violence. And Jonah said, uh-uh, nope, not going to do that. We know what happened. Jonah spent three nights in the hotel Great Fish, and then he got expelled out. And after he got expelled out, and I'm assuming got cleaned up somewhat, he made his way to Nineveh. And Scripture tells us, as he made his way to Nineveh, one of the greatest revivals ever happened in Nineveh. One of the greatest crusades, one of the greatest evangelistic crusades in all Scripture happened. He went to Nineveh. He preached what God told him to preach. And the Ninevites responded. They believed. They responded in sackcloth and ashes. They responded to the words of God through Jonah. And they put on sackcloth and ashes, and God said, hey, I'm now, I'm not going to send the judgment on them as I had planned. My purpose has been fulfilled. You went. You did what I called you to do, knowing that this is exactly what happened. I'm going to take my hand of judgment off the Ninevites. The greatest evangelism Crusade. Man, Jonah would have been the top-notch speaker at every single preaching conference around the world at that point in time. Get Jonah, the dude that saved Nineveh. I can just hear it now. But you know what? Scripture says Jonah was not happy. Here's what Scripture says. Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became furious. What? He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Are you kidding me? He needed another stay in the Hotel Great Fish. The Lord's response 
as always perfect, the Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry? Answer, no. No. No, it wasn't. You see, we need to pray for everyone. If for no other reason that they may be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I like what Paul told Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul said, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. Paul said, I'm the worst. But God showed his grace to me. He saved me. If he can save me, he can save anyone. So we know and understand then, praise God, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. So we're to pray for those who don't know Jesus to come to faith in Jesus. And we're to pray for those who do know Jesus to continue living and loving for Jesus so that others can come to faith in Jesus. Because yet remember now, our witness for Jesus helps others come to know Jesus. God uses our witness for Jesus in his work in others' lives. Prayer reminds us that there is someone greater than us. Secondly, prayer reminds us that we're part of something greater than us. Prayer reminds us that we're part of something greater than us. Remember, Paul told Timothy, the reason why I'm writing to you is so that you will be able to know how God's people are to act, how to conduct themselves in God's household. And so we know and understand that prayer reminds us that there's someone greater than us, Almighty God. Prayer reminds us that we're part of something greater than us, and that is the family of God. The family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. One of the reasons why I love pastoring, one of the reasons why I love pastoring this church is because of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We're family. I love all my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We're family. We're family in Christ Jesus. We get to do life together. It's awesome. We are family in Christ Jesus. We're part of something great, something more greater than us, the family of God, the body of Christ, the church. This is awesome. Paul talked about this. He continued in verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. So here's the great news. There is one true almighty God, and he wants to know us. And we're able to know the one true almighty God personally by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, the one mediator between God and us. Mediator means someone who intervenes between two or more parties to make or produce peace between two or more parties. A mediator is someone who intervenes between two or more parties to make peace between those two parties. Jesus, God's Son, our Savior, is the mediator between God and us. He intervened on our behalf and made a way for us to know God. You see, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus took on the form of man, wrapped himself in flesh, and he came to earth in obedience to God's plan for his life to rescue us from our sins. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus satisfied God's demand for a perfect sacrifice to be made so that we who are imperfect and unholy could be made right with a perfect and holy God. As Paul said, Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice, as a ransom for all. That means Jesus didn't go to the Jerusalem ATM and pull out a bunch of cash to pay our ransom price. It means Jesus didn't go to his financial advisor and say, I need to share some of my gold stock in heaven to pay the ransom price for these folks. No, 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 no. You see, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us. 
Jesus, the mediator between God and man. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Jesus gave his life for us. He paid the price for our sin on the cross. Jesus shed his blood for you and me on the cross of Calvary. This is why Paul said, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We are members of God's family, God's household, by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. You know what this means? It means this. Our salvation is in Jesus. Our satisfaction is in Jesus. Our significance is in Jesus. Our strength is in Jesus. And our allegiance is to Jesus. Let me say that again. Our allegiance is to Jesus. We should be more committed to, we should be more loving toward, we should be more united with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus than we are to any group, movement, party, team, or organization. Let me say that one more time just so we're clear. We should be more committed to, we should be more loving toward, and we should be more united with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus than to any group, movement, party, team, or organization. We have the same faith as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We have the same faith in God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We place our faith and trust in him. We repent of our sins, confess them to God, and we place our faith in Christ Jesus. We have the same Father, God, our Almighty God, our Abba Father. Scripture says we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. So we have the same faith. We have the same Father. We have the same family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, all of us. We're brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, united together by the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross of Calvary. So we have the same Faith, we have the same father, we have the same family. We've also got the same focus. We got the same focus. Our focus is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Our focus is to live for God by the power of God, for the glory of God. Our focus is one and the same. And that's whatever we do, eat, drink, say, whatever it is that we do, we're to do it all for the glory of God. So we have the same focus. We also have the same future. We're gonna spend eternity with God in glory Together one day, we are all going to be united together at the foot of the cross with our brothers and sisters from every race, color, creed, tongue, and nation, and we're all going to be singing the same tune, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So we have the same faith, we have the same father, we have the same family, we have the same focus, we have the same future. Guess what? We have the same foe. Our foe is Satan and his demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our foe is Satan, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy us, our walk with God, our worship of God, and our witness for God. Our foe is Satan who's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour, and my fear is he's getting kind of full. Our foe, our enemy, is Satan, 
who wants to destroy the unity we have together in Jesus, which was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. You see, Satan couldn't get Jesus from shedding his blood. He couldn't stop Jesus from shedding his blood. So what does he do? He tries to get Christ followers for cheapening the blood of Jesus. He couldn't keep Jesus from shedding his blood, but he will do everything he can to get Christ followers to cheapen the blood of Jesus by the way they act, which is why Paul said, hey, Tim, need to make sure that God's people know how to act according to God's word and God's household. So let me also make sure we're aware and we're clear on this too. Why stop now? Our foe is not President Trump. And our foe is not President-elect Biden. Our foe is not President Trump and our foe is not President-elect Biden. They're not our enemies. Our enemy is Satan and his demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, how do you say that, Pastor? The reason I say that is because God said that. God said our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, the principalities, the rulers, the demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are also engaged in the same fight. We're in the same fight, this battle of spiritual warfare as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We are victors. We're overcomers. We're more than conquerors. We're teammates in Jesus. What sense does it make to have teammates fighting with teammates? We're teammates. We're brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We have the same fight. Together, locking arms as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We're not to fight one another. We're to stand firm in the good fight of the faith in Christ Jesus, together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we must not be derogatory towards one another. We must not be harsh with one another. We must not be hateful towards one another. We must not be insensitive to one another. We must not be mean-spirited towards one another. We must not be unloving towards one another. We must not be unkind towards one another. We must not be unforgiving towards one another. We must not and we should not harbor resentment towards one another. We shouldn't live in conflict with one another. We must not make accusations against one another. We should not call one another names. What's going on? There is never a time that God has told us in his word that as followers of Jesus Christ that we're to make accusations against one another and we're to call one another names? Have we forgotten that the scripture says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren? So guess what? When we make accusations, guess whose work we're doing? 
Yeah, it's not the Father's. <laughs> there should never be accusations and name-calling among brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Should never be. You see, what the Word actually says is that we're to love one another. Like Christ loves us. That's what the Word says. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another. And he said, as I have loved you, you're to love one another. This means every time we speak to and speak with a brother or sister in Christ Jesus, the cross should be the backdrop to everything we say. We should see the cross. This is why every time we make the decision To communicate, not in person, we should see the cross. The cross should be the forefront of our mind. The blood Jesus shed for us. You see, we should be so humbled, so blessed, so amazed that Christ shed his blood for us that we can't help but pour out our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's exactly what God wants for us. We're to love one another like Christ Jesus. Why? Because God has called us out of the darkness of sin into the marvelous light of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Why? Because we have taken off our old self of sin and unrighteousness and put on our new self in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Why? Because we are light in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to walk and talk in such a way that others are able to see Jesus in us and be drawn to Jesus through our testimony. Because you see, that passage also continues, and Jesus told us, by this all people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So the way the lost world in sin, the way the world who desperately needs to know Jesus Christ, the way who those who are on a collision course with the eternal fires of hell are to see Jesus, uh, the way they are to know that we are followers of Jesus is they are and should be able to look at us, the body of Christ, and they should be able to see the love among us, the love toward one another. They should be able to see the just absolute overflowing of love among us, and that should be enough for them to draw them to find out what's going on. I want some of that. Prayer reminds us there's someone greater than us, God. Prayer reminds us that we're part of something greater than us, the family of God. Prayer reminds us that there's a message greater than us. 
The message is the good news of the gospel. God has made the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and enter into a relationship with him by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the one mediator between God and us. We have the calling, we have the responsibility, we have the joy, we have the privilege to say to others the good news of the gospel, which is simply Jesus saves. Say that with me out loud. Jesus saves. Again, Jesus saves. This is what Paul was talking about. Verse 7, for I, this I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. God saved Paul, and God called and appointed Paul to be his witness to the Gentiles. Here was the amazing news that Paul was sharing. Salvation is available to everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. That's awesome. Salvation is available for everybody. So Paul said, man, I want to make sure that my life, I want to make sure that my words, I want to make sure that my actions are such that they draw people to Jesus instead of distracting them from Jesus. You see, Paul understood the message of the gospel is of utmost importance. And Paul understood this key point, which is why he wrote 1 Timothy. He understood that unity in God's family enhances the message of the gospel. That's why he said, tell them how to conduct themselves as members of my household. Because the unity in the family enhances the gospel. Once we place our faith in Jesus, we become witnesses for Jesus to all those he places around us. So I say all the time, we're followers of Jesus, we're ministers, we have congregations. And so we understand and realize then it should be our desire that our lives, our words, our actions would be such that we are able to draw others to Jesus rather than distracting others from Jesus. What You see, we know that the message of the gospel is of utmost importance. We know that unity in God's family enhances the message of the gospel. We know this. We also know in just an amazing way that God uses us in his work of changing lives for eternity. I don't quite understand it, but, but it's true. He didn't promote us to paradise when he saved us. He left us here on earth. Why? Because he wants to use us in his work of changing lives for eternity. That means we need to study this word so that we know the gospel, obey the gospel, and so that we can share the gospel. We need to walk by the Spirit so that we will not cause a brother or sister in Christ Jesus to stumble in their faith in Christ Jesus. We need to walk in the Spirit so we aren't guilty of hindering someone who doesn't know Jesus from coming to faith in Jesus. Lord, forgive us. If we as your body have acted in such a way Turning people away. Oh, forgive us. This, this is why. 
Paul's point makes so much sense. He said, first of all, pray. Pray before we speak. Pray before we hit send. Pray before we post. Pray before we act. First of all, pray, 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 pray. Pray simply, God, is what I'm about to do or say going to highlight the gospel or hinder the gospel? God, is what I'm about to do or say going to bless my brother or sister in Christ Jesus or is it going to burden my brother or sister in Christ Jesus? Is it going to build them up or is it going to tear them down? God, is what I'm about to do or say going to hurt others or is it going to help others? And then respond accordingly to God's answer. God told us to pray for everyone because he wants everyone to be saved to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so we're to pray for others as we tell others about Jesus. We're to pray for others as we love others like Jesus. We're to pray for others as we live as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, as we conduct ourselves according to God's household rules. Because as we gave the Lord our praise earlier, our God is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. He is our good, good Father. And we are loved by Him. And even when we can't see that He's working, we know He's working. Because He tells us in His Word He's working. Even when we can't see it, we know He's working in us, and we know he's working on us. And we know he's working through us. And we know he's working around us. So that others may come to faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And so that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, will be able to love one another, live with one another in a way that's pleasing to the Father, and in a way that leads people to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of response. and I want to encourage you just to spend time in prayer. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, the altar is open as it always is. For you to just spend time in prayer to get with the Father, to allow him to search your heart. I know he's spoken. I know he's speaking. I know he's working. Let's respond in obedience to him and say yes to him. Likewise, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then what a great day to say yes to the Lord. Our pastors will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, introduce you to Jesus. As we've shared the good news of the gospel throughout this morning's time together, Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death on the cross of Calvary. He was buried in the tomb after shedding his blood for you and me. On the third day, he rose again victorious over sin and death for us. He's alive and he is the only way to God because he is the one mediator between God and us. 
Jesus Christ, our Savior. You're able to receive God's gift of love, life, and salvation by simply repenting of your sins, turning away from the life of sin and turning toward the Savior, Jesus. Repent of our sins, confess them to God, and then just place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Receive God's gift of salvation by saying yes to Jesus. As Paul told us, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. If we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart, God's raised you from the dead, we'll be saved with our hearts that we believe and are justified, so with our mouths that we confess and are saved. So I want to encourage each of us, here in person, streaming online, let's respond in obedience to the Lord. Say yes to Jesus. Pray with your brothers or sisters. Encourage them. Let's stand and let's respond in obedience.